Today's daf is Kafdalid in Masechet Betza. We are on Kafgimel uh, Amud Bet at the new Perik. This is four lines from the bottom of the Amud. Uh, the new Perik is called En Tzadin. We cannot trap. En Tzadin Dagim in a Bibarim Yom Tov. We cannot trap fish from ponds on Yom Tov. We also don't feed them on Yom Tov. But we do catch, if there's an enclosure with animals, even though they're wild animals or they are birds, and they're in these enclosures, we're allowed to catch them, and we can also feed them. Now, Rashi says that the reason why we cannot feed uh, fish is because they're able to take care of themselves, and therefore it's an additional tirchatz, an additional um, uh, exertion on our part that's unnecessary. According to Tosfot, no, the there's a connection between feeding of the animals and trapping, that animals that we're not allowed to trap were also not allowed to feed because trapping them, uh, because feeding them could lead to trapping them. So therefore, the fish that we're not allowed to trap were also not allowed to feed, and the animals that were allowed to trap were allowed to feed. Now, Rashi explains that the reason why you cannot trap these um, fish on the Yom Tov is because even though it's true that most melachot for food are permitted on the holiday, um, anything that could be done from the previous day and wouldn't make much difference if you did it on the day itself uh, is allowed to be um, is allowed is is not allowed to be done on the yom tov. So since catching fish is uh, is complicated and involved and. Uh, it should have been done from Erev Yom Tov and it wouldn't have made a difference in the quality of your food. Whereas the animals, it's easy to catch them once they're in the enclosure, so it's not considered an excessive uh, involved process that you should have done before the Yom Tov. It can easily be done on the Yom Tov. That's Rashi's interpretation. Tosafot says no, that it's simply similar to the Melachot. It's similar to the preliminary stages of, say, preparing bread, like harvesting the wheat out of the ground, which is not permitted on Yom Tov, even though it's connected to food. So too, this is too early in the process to get the uh, extraction of the fish from the waters too early in the process to permit it to be done on uh, on the uh, on the Yom Tov and uh, and, and that's the explanation that the Sosafot offers. In any case, not every enclosure is the same. Any situation where uh, trapping is necessary, meaning that it's an involved process, uh, you're not allowed to do it. But if it is not an involved process and it's easy to grab the animal, then it's not prohibited on the Yom Tov. It's as if it were already available to you. Now, the Gemara, In other words, the issue here really is drawing the line between just taking an animal to slaughter it, which you're allowed to do on Yom Tov, and capturing an animal. Because if an animal's already in an enclosure, do you consider that like it's in its pen and you can go and take it? Or is it considered like a process of trapping, which is a separate malacha where you can't take it? The Gemara says, We have an objection raised to this. It says that you cannot take from the enclosures of the wild animals and the birds on Yom Tov. And you also can't give them food. So our Mishnah says that you're allowed to take the wild animals and the birds from such enclosures, and this Brayta says not. So we can explain the wild animals that there's a machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and the Rabbanan that would be relevant here, which is the sound that says in the Mishnah later on. Um, I'm sorry, in Masachet Shabbat rather that Rabbi Yehuda Omer Hatzad Sipur LeMigdal Utzvi LeBait Chayav that if a person uh, chases a bird into a migdal, into a small uh, kind of a uh, uh, an, an enclosed uh, piece of furniture, basically. The migdal doesn't mean a tower, like a high tower, but it's talking about like a closet sort of thing. Uh, if you chase a bird into that, that's considered trapping. And when it comes to a 
a deer, if you chase it into a house, you are liable for trapping the deer. Which means if you, if you chase it into a house, it's considered trapped. But if you could chase it into an enclosure, it wouldn't be considered trapped. Meaning the deer wouldn't be considered trapped because you still have to go after it and it's very quick and difficult to catch. Whereas the Chachamim say that it's not, they agree that a bird is only considered trapped when it's in a very small enclosure. But a deer, um, if it, you would have to, uh, it would only be uh, considered um, trapped if it's brought into a gina, if you trap it in a, um, in a garden, in a yard, or in an enclosure. In other words, according to the Chachamim, a deer that is inside an enclosure is considered trapped. If you chase a deer into an enclosure on Shabbat, you have trapped it. If it's in the enclosure already, it's already considered trapped. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda would say that, no, that deer is not considered trapped. So therefore, if you go and trap it in the enclosure on, Sh- on Yom Tov, you're considered doing a new trapping action because it wasn't fully secured before. And so therefore, that would be the difference. Our Mishnah is following the Chachamim that say that once the animal is in the enclosure, it's already considered trapped. And the Bright is following Rabbi Yehuda that says, no, in order for a deer to be considered trapped, it has to be stuck in a house, not in an enclosure where it can escape from you. But why does our Mishnah say that birds you're allowed to trap and the Brite says not? Maybe you'll suggest the following resolution. One is talking about a... Um, an enclosure that has a roof over it. One is talking about one that doesn't have a roof over it, and therefore, in an enclosure that has a roof over it, therefore the birds can't escape and they're considered trapped, and you can go and get them on Yom Tov because they're already considered trapped. And the and where the bright that says that you're not allowed to catch the birds is where it's an open sky type of an enclosure where the birds can go away at any time. They can fly away at any time, and therefore they're not considered trapped until you go take them. So therefore it's considered a new act of trapping on Yom Tov. Right? So the thing is, um, we see that when it comes to chasing a bird into a house, it's not considered trapping. Everybody agrees that simply chasing a bird into a house is not considered trapping it because it can still escape you while it's in the house and it has to be, uh, to be considered trapping a bird. It has to be, uh, it has to be cornered in a very small space. So definitely it's not considered trapped in the enclosure. So that cannot be reduced to the machloket between Rabbi Yudan and the rabbis. We're talking here about a bird that is a free bird, a sparrow, that is difficult to catch, that lives in houses, Rashi says, and therefore escapes into nooks and crannies of the house, and you're not going to be able to track it down. Okay? Which is impossible to discipline, impossible to control, and therefore such a bird, uh, you're not allowed to uh, try to capture it on, uh, on the holiday because, um, so, uh, because it will hide from you inside the house, and that was what the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda were talking about, where they said that chasing the bird into the house is uh, not considered trapping it. But a normal bird that isn't as widely as that, uh, chasing it into a house or chasing it into an enclosure where you have some control over things, uh, you could consider it a, uh, maybe a roofed enclosure, you could consider it trapped because it's not such a widely bird that you're going to have difficulty controlling it. Um, why do they call the sparrow the tzipor dror? Because it can live in the house just like in the field. In other words, it's, it comes from the word dira, that it dwells in the house like in the field, meaning it's just as free when it's in the house as it is in the field. You can't catch it very easily. Whereas normal birds, you could catch them once they're in a roofed enclosed area, you're going to be able to grab them. And therefore, they'll be considered trapped already once they're in such an enclosure. And that would be the difference between the two cases. But the Gemara says, once we do that, once we're changing and saying that the Mishnah and the Brayta are not about a machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim, but actually they're talking about two different cases, so then we don't even know need to come on to this. We can just say, 
Gadol would just say that one is talking about a small enclosure, one is talking about a big enclosure. In other words, in a large enclosure, meaning even according to the Chachamim, if the enclosure is very large, it's not considered trapped in there, a wild animal, only in a small enclosure. What's considered a small, what's considered large? Ravashi says, any enclosure where if you want to chase the animal, you can grab it in one fell swoop. You lean over and you grab it, that's small. Anything bigger than that requires more effort is considered a large enclosure. Inami alternatively, any type of an, an area that has lots of corners and nooks and crannies where the animals can hide from you and, and run from you, so that's considered large. Anything other than that, simple uh, and a straightforward types, type of enclosure is called small. Inami, alternatively, any uh, enclosure where the walls cast shade onto each other because it's so small that the shade overlaps. That's, good. So that's called a small enclosure. And anything larger than that is a large enclosure. In other words, according to this, the mach- there's no machloket. We don't have to reduce... Uh, that we don't have to say that the Breita and the Mishnah, one is following one opinion, one is following another. We simply say that our Mishnah is talking about a small enclosure where the birds and the animals are considered already trapped. And the Breita was talking about a large enclosure where the birds and the animals are not considered trapped. That is according to the way that Rashi learns this sugya, that this answer is going on both the animals and the birds. As we're going to see, there's another possible way of reading it, but we'll get to that in a moment. Not all enclosures are created equal, said Rabban Shabbat Gamliel in the Mishnah. Rav Yudas said the name of Shmuel that the uh, Rav Yosef said that Rav, Rav Yudas said the name of Shmuel that the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Amarle Abaye Abaye says halacha mikal debi. Once you tell me the halacha follows Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, you're telling me that there's a machloket between them, and you have to say the halacha follows one over the other one. So you're telling me that the Chachamim don't agree that there's a distinction between large and small uh, enclosures. Then and only Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel is the only one who says that. Now, what difference does it make whether they all agree with Rabban Shimon Gamliel or we're just saying the halacha is like Rabban Shimon Gamliel against the Chachamim? In either case, the point is the halacha goes this way that we distinguish between the size of different enclosures. So what difference does it make if there's a machloket, if there's not a machloket, if he's agreeing with the Chachamim, if he's disagreeing? So he says, Amar Lei, he said to him, meaning Abaye said back, you learn a teaching as if it's a song. Meaning, literally, what this means, Rashi explains, You say to a foolish student, learn whether you're learning correctly or incorrectly, it doesn't matter. It'll be like a song to you. What difference does it make? In other words, are you saying that every detail is not important, that every nuance is not important? This is a phrase that we saw also twice in Masachat Shabbat. It appears within uh, the, uh, you know, very close uh, to each other. There's two places in Masachat Shabbat where that same uh, rejoinder is given by Abaye when someone says that Lacha follows a certain way and it doesn't, it doesn't add anything to the, uh, to the discussion. So he says, why did you bother saying that Lacha follows somebody for no reason? And uh, the same answer is given that, well, it's because, um, you know, it doesn't make a difference whether, that, whether there's a machloket here or not. And Abaye said, do you tell a student, learn whether correct or incorrect, it'll just be a song, it doesn't matter. Um, interestingly, a... Uh, uh, you know, and th- this appears in Masechet Shabbat in, in two places, as I mentioned. Um, it's, a, it, it's a rare occasion to see that the rejoinder, but the rejoinder appears a few places in the Shas. Now, any animal that requires, that is that is lacking in catching. In other words, if it requires more catching, more effort, so then, um, uh, then um, 
it's a uh, it's considered to be not caught yet, and you're catching it on Yom Tov to begin with. What's considered lacking catching? Anytime you would have to say, bring a trap and we'll trap it. In other words, it's going to involve a whole process to trap it. Now, the interesting thing here is that according to Rashi, this is the same measurement as before. In other words, earlier on this Amud, we were talking about the difference between a small enclosure and a large enclosure, and the Gemara had given a few different explanations of that. Uh, one is, you know, one definition is that... Um, is that a large one, a small one is one where you can catch the animal in one swoop, a large one is anything bigger than that, or a large one is one that has nooks and crannies, a small one is the one that does not, or a small one is considered one that the shade is cast from one side to the other and overlaps the two uh, parallel walls, the shade overlaps, um, and uh, anything larger than that is considered large. Those answers, according to Rashi, is the same thing here. In other words, that's the same definition, it's just a different way of expressing it, that is saying a small enclosure is the same as saying an enclosure in which you wouldn't need any extra equipment or any longer process um, or any strategy, like Rashi says, in order to catch the animal. It's really the same thing. And therefore, he says it's referring to both animals and birds in both cases. Whereas Tosfot says, no, this is a new thing. Previously, the answer was, um, uh, previously it was talking about when you're dealing with an animal and you need to catch it. And therefore, it's talking about the size of the, um, uh, of the enclosure. Whereas, uh, and, and, Rash, and Tosafot says that, this is talking about ofot, about birds. In other words, even though before it said that in order to be considered enclosed with regard to birds, it has to be, have a roof as well, it never defined the size with regard to birds. The size with regard to birds is one that doesn't require extra effort in order to catch the bird. It doesn't necessarily have the same definition as a small enclosure with regard to wild animals where, the, where it doesn't have to be roofed to hold them in. It's a different measurement also in terms of the dimensions, according to Tosfot. Rashi says, no, they're both the same. But when you go and get geese and chickens, you also say, bring a trap and let's go catch it. In other words, you have to have some kind of a strategy. And yet we learn that if a person goes and traps geese or chickens or these Herodian doves, which Rashi says either these were because they were associated with King Herod or it's talking about ones that grow in the house, um, you are not liable for such uh, trapping because... I was talking about on Shabbat, because they're really considered domesticated already, right? So uh, even though that requires a process, so you see the mere fact that it requires a process doesn't mean that it's considered a new trapping. It depends. Those birds, the reason why it's not considered to be a new active trapping when you trap them, even on Shabbat, is because they come back to their home, to their nest in the nighttime. So really they're yours, they're under your control, as opposed to the other birds that don't do that. But we see that the doves that live in the dovecotes or in the attics, they come back to their nests at night and yet they're not considered caught. And yet we learned that if a person goes and he traps doves in a dovecote or he traps doves in an attic, or he traps birds that have made their nests in different bottles and, uh, you know, in different buildings. They find like uh, pots or whatever. They make a nest in them. Chayav is liable. In other words, even though they come back at night to their home, 
Uh, they're not considered completely trapped as a result of that, and therefore if you trap them on Shabbat, you'll be liable. The difference is that the geese and the chickens are domesticated. They're going to come back at home at night, and therefore they are, and because they're dependent on you for their food, you feed them. So therefore they're under your control. Whereas the doves, yes, they come back to their homes at night and therefore they have predictable behavior, but they're not really under your control because they are not dependent on you in any way. And that's why catching them is considered trapping. There's another factor, which is that the geese and the chickens will not run away from you um, like the doves will run away from you. The Gemara asks, What do you mean? The point is that to their homes. In other words, the uh, the um, when it comes to the chickens and the doves, I'm sorry, the chickens and the uh, and the geese, they'll run back to their homes. But once they're in their homes, they don't have anywhere else to go. The doves, even once they go back to their nests, and you have to chase after them, they'll continue to run away from you, and that's why uh, it's not considered to be. They're not considered to be trapped, even though they come back to their home base every night. The Mishnah says, If you have traps for wild animals, birds, and fish, that you set up before Yom Tov, you shouldn't take from them in Yom Tov, because unless you know that whatever was caught in them was caught before Yom Tov. And it was a situation where a non-Jew brought fish to Rabban Gamliel, and he said, I could take them, they're permitted, but I don't like this non-Jew, so I don't want to accept them, because I don't want to give him the uh, satisfaction that I accepted them. So the Gemara asks, It seems like the story of Rabban Gamliel contradicts the Alecha, because Alecha was that if they were caught on that day, the fish were caught on that day, you're not allowed to take them. And then it says, Rabban Gamliel says, I could take the fish that the non-Jew caught today and brought me, I just don't want to. So why would you bring a story to contradict the Halakha? The answer is that there's something missing here. That there's a hidden clause. That yes, if it was definitely caught on the day of Yom Tov, you cannot take it and it's definitely Asur. But what if it's a doubt? So it says a doubtful Mukhan. We're not sure when it was caught. There, it's Asur also. Rabban Gamliel says, no, it's permitted. That's why Rabban Gamliel said that when the non-Jew brought fish, he said, really, it's permitted because I don't know if th- that the non-Jew necessarily caught these today. He might have caught them yesterday. I just don't want to accept them. So it's a machloket where it's a safik, where it's a doubt when they were caught. We do not follow Rabban Gamliel. We say that when there is a doubt as to when these items were caught, we do not partake of them. Some uh, teach this teaching, meaning that, that Shmuel uh, said that, the, uh, uh, that it's prohibited when we're unsure when something was prepared, when something was caught, on the following b'rita. The Tanya, it says in the b'rita, Safek Mukhan. If we're unsure, Rabban Gamliel Matir, Rabbi Yoshua Oser, Rabban Gamliel says it's permitted, Rabbi Yoshua says it's prohibited, I'm Rabbi Yudam Shmuel, Halachak Rabbi Yoshua. So the reason why he couldn't have said this Halachak Rabbi Yoshua before is because Rabbi Yoshua wasn't mentioned in the Mishnah, but in this version, Rabbi Yoshua is mentioned in this Brayta, and therefore he said Halachak is Rabbi Yoshua, therefore not sure about the status of when it was, uh, when these items were uh, caught, then we can't partake of them. Some apply to the following Halachak, even a different Brayta, which is, uh, we can take and slaughter from the animals that are in the enclosures that have water there, meaning because they're in, meaning that they're enclosed and they're taken care of the area where the animals normally live, and they don't leave there. They don't leave that area because there's flowing water. But not if we find something in 
in uh, nets or they are in uh, traps. In other words, we don't take from the traps on Yom Tov because it's possible that these things were caught on Yom Tov itself. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, if you found that the traps were disturbed already from Erev Yom Tov, we know that the animals were caught on Yom Tov and therefore Umutarin, you could use them. If you found it only on Yom Tov, then we know that they were caught on Yom Tov, and therefore it's prohibited to use them because they were caught on Yom Tov. Now, there's a difficulty with this Praita intrinsically because you said that if you found that the nets were disturbed on Erev Yom Tov, that's proof positive that uh, these animals were caught in Erev Yom Tov, which means you need proof positive that they were caught in Erev Yom Tov, implying that if you just found it during the day of Yom Tov and you were in doubt, it would be prohibited. You have to have proof positive that it was caught before. But what about the second case? It says, if you found the tra- the uh, Traps disturbed on Yom Tov, then it's known that it happened on Yom Tov. In other words, the problem is that the first the first case implies that a doubt is is stringent because it says only if you have proof positive that the animal was caught on air of Yom Tov can you use it. But if you found the uh, the evidence on Yom Tov and you don't know when the animal was caught, you can't use it. The second case says if you found it on Yom Tov disturbed, so you know for sure it was caught on Yom Tov, then you can't use it. But if it's a doubt. You could use it. So what's the status of a doubt? Is it good or is it not good? It's really all one case. What it means is if you have proof positive that the animal was caught on Erev Yom Tov, so then you can use it. But if you, you're not sure, you became like someone Meaning, it became like a situation in which the animals were trapped on Yom Tov itself, and they are forbidden. And in this brayta, instead of saying Yoshua, we say Shimon ben Elazar. Same halacha. The point is that when it's a doubt about when this item came under your control, you cannot use it. Um, it has to be definite that it was caught before Yom Tov. This was Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel who said. The fish that this Nanju brought me on Yom Tov are really permitted, but I don't want to take them. What are they permitted for? Rav said you could receive them. Levi said you could even eat them. Rav said you learn from this that a person should never be absent from the Beit Midrash, even for one minute, one hour. Levi and I were both in front of Rabbi. At night, when he told over the halacha, he said that you could even take, receive such an item and eat it. But Pitzafra, in the morning, in the morning, he said you're only allowed to receive it but not eat it. I was there in the Beit Midrash in the morning when it was corrected and heard that you're only allowed to receive it and not eat it, so I corrected it. But Levi, Levi was absent that day, that morning, didn't know about the correction and didn't correct his teaching. If a non-Jew brings a gift to a Jew, uh, even of fish that are still moist and fruit that is from that day, he's allowed to take it. It only makes sense to say that you're allowed to receive such a gift. Shapir, then it makes sense. But if you're going to say that mutarin, permitted, means you're allowed to eat it, how could you allow the person to eat fruit that was actually picked on that day on Yom Tov? But if that's the case, that they were actually picked on that day, they shouldn't be allowed to move them either, to touch them, to receive them, because they're muktzeh. 
It's talking about fish that is still red and looks as fresh as it was like today. And uh, fruit that was immediately uh, put into vegetables was like uh, garnish was put on. Vegetables were put on it um, in order to uh, keep them nice and fresh. So they look like they were picked that day. So that's what we're asking and we're talking about. Since they look like they were just from that day. So Rashi explains that what it means is that even though these items look like they were picked that day or, or caught that day, you don't have to worry about Marita Ayin, that people are going to look and see and suspect that you've received a gift that was prepared on the Yom Tov or a fish that was caught on the Yom Tov or fruit that was picked on the Yom Tov, even though it looks like it. Is since in this case it's really because the person picked it the previous day but immediately put it in with greens that kept it fresh or immediately kept the fish uh, in such a way that it maintained its redness and its freshness, um, uh, you don't have to be worried about Marita Ayn, you could receive it. But if it actually was picked or caught on the Yom Tov, you wouldn't be allowed to. A non-Jew that brings a gift to a Jew on Yom Tov. If that type of item is currently in, out in the fields attached to the ground, then it's prohibited. In other words, you have to assume that he probably picked it that day from the garden, from the field, and brought it to you. So you cannot take it. And you have to wait after Yom Tov the amount of time it takes that it would have taken you to go and pick it yourself. In other words, that way, according to Rashi's explanation, you don't benefit from the fact that he did them lachan yom tov because you wait the amount of time that it would take to do it yourself after yom tov. And if this item is no longer in the field or in the garden, meaning you know we didn't pick it that day because there's no more of this item in the garden in the field anymore. So if it came from within the tchum, within the 2000 damot area that you're allowed to travel on Shabbat and yom tov, then it's permitted to take it. But if it came from outside the tchum, you're not allowed to. And if the thing came for one... Um, one Jew, another Jew is allowed to take it. I'm going to explain that in a second. First, just want to touch upon uh, a here that Rashi brings. Um, the very last Rashi is a fascinating Rashi, actually. It's one of the rare Rashis where he goes into a discussion of Psak Halacha. What does it mean when it says For people living in Chutz La'aretz, um, who are living in the Galut and they have two days of Yom Tov, what happens if the non-Jew brings the item that was picked out of the garden on the first day of Yom Tov? What does it mean, Bechdei Sheyasu, they have to wait till after Yom Tov, the amount of time it would have taken, it, uh, taken for you to do it yourself? Rashi says that means the, that you only have to wait till the second night of Yom Tov, meaning he brought it to you on the first day of Yom Tov, you wait till the end of the first day of Yom Tov into the second day, and then you're allowed to partake of it, because he says, it doesn't make a difference. If the first day was really Yom Tov, so the second day is Chol anyway, and you waited. And if the first day was really Chol, so then it was actually picked on weekday and you're allowed to eat it on the Yom Tov, so it's no problem. And then he goes through a whole discussion about how he had, he never had the opportunity to ask this from his teacher and, uh, and he thought it was an obvious thing. And then he heard that other great Chachamim like Rabbeinu Yitzchak HaLevi uh, ruled differently and said, no, you have to wait till the end of the second day and that the Halachot Gedolot also said that. But, and he said, um, and he said, um, and he brought, he brings here a proof or a couple of sources to support his view. And he says he heard that Rabbeinu Gershom sided with his view and that there was also another great rabbi, which is, the way he refers to him is so interesting. He says there was an Adam Gadol Zaken Vyoshev Shiva. There was a great 
elder who sat in the yeshiva min Roma, who was from Rome, ushmo Rabbi Kalonimos, ubaki bekol hashas. His name was Rabbi Kalonimos, and he was an expert in the whole shas. And he agreed with my view, says Rashi, and he disagreed with everyone else. That is, it's very interesting, Rashi. Um, I'm sure there's been a lot of discussion of it uh, from a historical perspective. Really, really interesting. There's a long Tosafot here on the right side that goes through this and disagrees with Rashi and basically says, no, the whole point of waiting is not just that you wait for the effect of the fact that it was done on Yom Tov to wear off. That's not the reason. But which, according, if that is the reason, then you, could, then you can use the logic of Rashi and say, if the first day was the real day, then now is a weekday. And if the first day was a weekday, and the whole thing. But Tosafot says, no, the reason is that if you take it and receive it, you'll be tempted to ask the person to do it for you, to ask the Nanjir to do it for you. And he says, since you could just say to him on the first day, oh, bring me such and such today, and then just wait until the night and use it the following night based on that logic. So that would undermine the whole point because you would end up asking a Nanjir to do it for you. And then on the Yom Tov, still on the second day, night of Yom Tov, you'd be allowed to use it. And he says that would undermine the whole point of... Um, of not receiving the gift or of waiting, which the whole point is that you shouldn't have an advantage in requesting it from the non Since you still can't do that melacham on Motzei Yom Tov Arishon, on the end of the first day of Yom Tov, you still can't do that melacham because it's still Yom Tov for you on the second night. So you're still benefiting and have an advantage in asking the non to bring it for you. So then it wouldn't be really, since you still couldn't do that melacham yourself, you'd still be taking advantage of it and therefore it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be allowed. Um, then Tosafot goes on to say that this is different, for example, from cases where something happens in like an egg being laid or something like that on um, on Yom Tov, where it's something that's minashamayim. There's no request. There's no human involvement there, so it wouldn't apply. And he also says that uh, something that comes from outside the Tchum is uh, not necessary. Doesn't follow this rule because there's no actual melacha that is done that changes the object when it comes from outside the Tchum. So if it came up from outside the Tchum, you wouldn't have to wait that long after the Yom Tov, in order to use it. Uh, he brings an interesting discussion here of cases where it seems like we do have to wait. He says that's talking about certain specific circumstances, such as when items were brought for a funeral, that we don't want it, to, it'll be too public, people will see that we're, uh, we're make, taking advantage of the fact that something came from outside the Tchum. And so that's why that's prohibited, but normally we don't have to wait that long. He also says that a safek, if it came out from outside the Tchum, is allowed. If it's a doubt whether it came outside the Tchum, it's allowed. And he also says that if it's a three-day Yom Tov, that, and the person brought the item on the first day, and maybe uh, there was a Chilul Yom Tov involved on the first day, we don't require you to wait till the end of the entire three-day Yom Tov, but by the third day you'd be allowed to use it. So there, there even though, according to the logic earlier in the Tosafot, where he disagreed with Rashi, it should be the same thing, that since you still couldn't do the Melacha that produced the item, so you're still, you still have an advantage from the fact that the non-Jew did the Melacha on day one, even on day three, you still haven't been allowed to do Melacha yet, so really technically you're getting an advantage from the fact that the non-Jew did it, but it's unlikely that a person will ask the non-Jew to do something on the first day, having in mind for two days later on the third day. That's what Tosafot says, and therefore it's allowed there. Now, as respe- with respect to things coming from outside the Tchum, it said if the non-Jew brings it for a different Jew, so then any other Jew is allowed to benefit from it. Rashi and Tosafot are both puzzled by this. Why should that make a difference? If it was brought for a Jew, it was brought for a Jew. If Malachah is done for a Jew on Shabbat or Yom Tov, by a non-Jew, it's done specifically for the Jew. It's not allowed for any Jew to benefit from it. For why is the Tchum different? And Rashi says, and Tosafot basically takes the answer from Rashi also, that it must be that since the whole idea of Tchumin is only the Rabbanan, 
At least for the most part, we assume that, of course, of course according to some Rishonim, certain cases of Tchum that are very far are actually Deoraita, but since generally speaking, the issue of Tchum is only a Deorabanan, Chachamim did not go so far as to prohibit uh, a Jew when benefiting from something that came out of, outside of the Tchum, so far that they would say that the not, the, the, a person who is not the intended recipient of the delivery wouldn't be able to benefit. So someone who is not the intended recipient of the delivery, the rabbis didn't extend the decree that far to prevent them from partaking of the item that came from outside the Tchum.